Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, we are here. We are your hosts. My name's Gavi. And I am cult survivor, cult expert, Sadie Carpenter. How are you doing today, Sadie? I'm a little bit tired. Uh, for those who follow my Instagram stories, I'm recording this the day after I stayed up all night building a uh, hutch for my kitchen dining room area. But I will be okay. That's very cool, though. I'm happy that your new house is coming along. But we have to get right into today's topic. Uh, today, we're talking about toys, things that were banned, toys that were banned in fundamentalism. And this is really exciting to, to hear about and to talk about. I'm, I think it's going to be fun. If you've ever seen like the, what is Toys That Made Us? Is that on Hulu? I think it's a Hulu series. This is like that, but for fundamentalism. <laughs> I've never seen it. Is it good? It's fun. It's good like background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was, I want to tell you all a story to start this, because when I was about seven, I was around the year 2000 sometime, my pastor at the time, before my dad was my pastor, preached a sermon that has become infamous in my family. I don't know if he got a hold of the book Turmoil in the Toy Box or what, but this Sunday night sermon, I remember it so clearly. It was about all the different satanic toys that are deceiving our children, including Pokemon, Furbies, and the Wizard of Oz. So my siblings and I went home and dutifully cleaned out our entire toy box, removed everything on his list of satanic toys, maybe most memorably got rid of our Furbies. Oh, no. I never had Furbies, but (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) I'm sad for you, though. Well, I specifically remember his example for Furbies being evil was that they were known to talk by themselves. And as an adult, I found out that this has been an issue for a lot of people, actually. (laughs) Like Furbies having weird electronic malfunctions that make them seem very evil. But he thought that this was a sign of each Furby coming with their own personal demon. Well, you know, there was an episode of The Simpsons where they were cleaning out the garage 
And they were like, look out for those Furbies. They've gone feral. And they're like fighting each other. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the list of toys that are banned by fundamentalism because of supposed satanic influence is long. Today, we're just going to hit some of our favorites, uh, talk about why the fundies thought that they were evil. And we're going to have fun talking about different toys. And we actually read uh, Turmoil in the Toy Box. You, I did not read the whole thing. You read it. I think that this this is a, a fun book to read to get a picture of that because it's kind of like the Bob Larson rock book and the Alberto comic in that the Bob Larson rock book and the Alberto comic give us like pretty much like a list of all of the reasons why the fundamentalists hate rock music or why they hate Catholicism. And this is like kind of that, but for toys. Yes. All the different toys that fundamentalists hate and why they hate them. Other thing that we're going to do today is we're going to talk about Barbie the toy and Barbie the movie. I've seen the movie Barbie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so before we get into that, the Leaving Eaton podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, couple of things that you can do. Number one, you can subscribe to our Patreon where there's an extended version of most of our episodes. If you want to hear uh, the extended version of last week's episode where Sadie talks about her uh, <laughs> actually some pretty coherent theory about what she thinks really happened with the Kennedy assassination, uh, you can listen to that. And that's available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Um, last week was the first episode that we recorded in my new house. Um, and apologies for the audio issues. We know the audio wasn't perfect on that episode uh, because like I've moved and there's things to sort out. <laughs> but uh, I was so incredibly tired and I, I just, I don't remember recording most of it, but I'm told that it was really funny. <laughs> I'm not a big Kennedy assassination guy, but the way that Sadie explained it made more sense to me that it made more sense to me than the Andrew WK is a, is, is a fake <laughs> Andrew WK conspiracy. Theory. My other, my other conspiracy theory, like I've carefully picked my pet conspiracy theories to like try to avoid anti-Semitism, which is hard when you're talking about any conspiracy theory, but also like any kind of racism, xenophobia, whatever. But I think, I think I've got a good crop. Those are my two pet conspiracy theories. <laughs> We've all got them. Um, but you can find all of that talk over on our Patreon, Leaving Eden Podcast, a Patreon, patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast. You can join our subreddit and our Facebook group. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. Um, we're actually going to have a Q&A episode coming up in the next few weeks. I think we're going to do that sometime around when we do our 150th episode. So we're going to have a Q&A. And if you want to send us a question, the easiest way for us to have those questions organized is for you to send it to us in an email. So if you send it to uh, leavingedenpod at gmail.com, we'll be able to answer that the next time we do a Q&A episode, which is, I think, going to be in a couple weeks. And that's going to be really fun. I love doing a Q&A episode. Because if you send it to us on Instagram, you send it to us on Facebook, you post it in the group, it's harder for us to keep track of. And we like to just have it all in one place. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we, we thank the patrons? I don't think so. Are you ready for me to thank the patrons? Yes, I would love to hear you thank the patrons. So first, I want to thank our I Gave It All tier patrons. They are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, 
and Todd Dale on behalf of Madeline Antrim. So thank you so much to the three of our I Gave It All Tier patrons. Yes, thank you guys so much. Our Faith Promise Missions patrons are Alex P., Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dora J., Enchanted Fairy, Esther M., Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane, Janine Callen, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kate Terwee, Kitty Kate, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Lita, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marcia Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara, The Loch Ness, Tiffany Enderby, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our uh, Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All to Your Patrons and to everybody who supports us over on Patreon, no matter the amount, and to all of our listeners who support us in non-financial ways, like recommending us to friends and family, posting about us on social media, leaving positive reviews. Everything helps, and all of y'all are the reason that we have a successful, successful show now. So thank you. Ready for the trigger warning for this episode? Hit us with a TW. So in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we do try to avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling, and we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we go into detail on any of these topics. This particular episode might be, I don't know, maybe light on the triggers and heavy on the childhood trauma. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure. We're really just going to be talking about toys, why the fundamentalists thought they were demonic. So we'll be talking all the general satanic panic stuff and demons and all of that, but I don't think this one's going to be too heavy. <laughs> Do you want to do our first toy for the day? Absolutely. I'm really excited for this. So if you watched Shiny Happy People, as we did, and we loved Shiny Happy People, very good documentary, you may remember that in the IBLP, Cabbage Patch dolls were banned. It wasn't an issue that they spent a lot of time on, but it was like mentioned. And I th this was just one of those things that they mentioned. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why that is. Um, and I did a little bit of research on this. And I now understand like why they didn't delve into it in greater detail, because the reason behind this is so weird that it would have just taken up so much time for them to explain. And the documentary filmmakers chose, I mean, rightly, I, I believe, to focus on things that are more important, like giving as much airtime to the survivors to tell their stories like they did. The IBLP's prohibition on Cabbage Patch Dolls comes from Bill Gothard's teaching on generational sin. So Bill Gothard and the IBLP teach that adopted children carry with them in their soul the sin nature of their parents. If you can't tell, this often causes racism issues in the IBLP. It often causes adopted children to be treated very terribly. Yeah, please check out Liz Hunter's story. Um, she's on TikTok at, at uh, that Liz Hunter, and she will tell you all about adoption trauma in the IBLP. I love Liz Hunter. She was a fantastic guest on our show like a little over a year ago. Oh, yeah. So much fun. Yeah, great person. The, the IBLP believe that basically that children carry with them, if they're 
parents were sinners, so if their parents drank or used drugs or just had an unstable situation, then those sins are passed down to their children. This is an extra biblical teaching. This isn't a teaching that's in the Bible. If you recall from playing with Cabbage Patch dolls, which I never did because they were popular probably about 10 years or so before I was born. They were popular in like the early 80s and I was born in the 90s. If you get one, they come with like a little adoption certificate that you sign promising that you will love and care for your little Cabbage Patch kid, which is like a cute thing to have with a toy. Unless you're a fundy. So what? one of the things that the IBLP does care a lot about, and this is something that we saw in the documentary, this is also something that for as much criticism as we had for that book that I thought that Ginger Duggar talked about and, and put very well when she did write her book, was that the IBLP teaches that uh, they, they care a lot about oaths and promises. They have an almost like superstitious uh, uh, fixation on oaths and promises, specifically like written contracts. So the IBLP, P believes that by signing your name to this contract, you are disobeying God somehow and therefore giving Satan a foothold in your home. And by promising to love this doll, you're promising to love all of the demons that this doll could potentially carry with it into your home. So when I first read this, I couldn't believe that this was true, but then I saw the reasoning in multiple places, including the website for Recovering Grace. So I now believe that this that this like is the actual reason. I can clarify this, I think, from the IFB perspective. I'm sure that some of our ex-IBLP listeners could probably go a little bit deeper on the IBLP perspective. But from like a broader fundamentalist, Baptist fundamentalist point of view, there are a couple of Bible verses that make the fundy beliefs on this. So one set of references is Proverbs 20, 25 and Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5. Both of these passages caution against making hasty promises to God. So in the IFB, it's very looked down on. You can't pray like, God, if you give me this thing that I want, I promise to be good. Or, you know, God, if you give me this new job that I'm praying for, I promise to tithe double for a year. Like people still do, but you can't make a promise like that offhand. You can't just say it. The backup verse for this is Deuteronomy 23, 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. The other passage that they reference is the story of Jephthah's daughter. Do you remember talking about Jephthah's daughter on this podcast? Uh, who was? He went out to battle and he promised God, if you let me win this battle, I'll sacrifice whatever comes through the door of my house to you. And he was thinking it would be an animal. But then when he went home, his daughter walked out the door of his house. And then he was like in a in trouble because now he's got to sacrifice his daughter. So that story will get referenced talking. You don't remember this? No. When did we talk about this? I don't know. I, I feel like I remember talking about it. <laughs> you seem perplexed. I'm I'm just trying to remember this story. I don't know if I remember. Do you, uh, what book is it from? Oh, it's in like Kings or Chronicles in there somewhere. Interesting. I, yeah. that. Uh... I can't think when we would have talked about it. Anyway, they use that story also to back up this idea of you cannot make offhanded promises to God. If you promise something to God and then you go back on your promise, God will make sure that you still keep your promise. So the IFB belief is if you promise God that you will give $500 to missionaries and then you back out and you don't give the $500, 
God will make your car break down, so it will be a $500 expense. Or God will make you trip and fall, and your doctor bill will be $500. Basically, IFB God is like the mob, and he's going get to get it out of you one way or the other, so don't play around. Huh. So there, there is a lot of superstition around promises in the IFB, and I wasn't able to find what Bible verse the other part of this comes from. But the IFB also believes that any promise you make to anyone is basically the same as a promise to God. So mm. there's a huge focus on keeping your promises to anybody and not tr trying to avoid making promises unless you really need to and always keeping your promises once you've made them. And you talked about this when you were coerced into signing a contract to become a missionary. Yes. Yes, I did. So there's, there is a lot of superstition around promises. Hope that helps explain, maybe. No, that really does help explain. But I, I like that you used the word superstition because I do feel like superstition is probably the best way to put most of the fundy prohibitions that I've that we've come across while doing this show. It's almost like building a whole life around being wildly superstitious. Yeah. Um, which is funny because actual superstition is banned in the I like what the IFB believes to be superstition is banned in the IFB. So like being afraid of the number 13 or being afraid to walk under a ladder or being afraid of black cats, that's banned in the IFB. You're not allowed to be afraid of black cats. Right. Wait, so does that mean that by having a black cat that you are not fully deconstructed? I, you know what? I <laughs> <laughs> you should be afraid of I horseshoe theoried myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you also got married on the 13th. I got so, married on a Friday the 13th. On yeah. a Friday the th See, there you go. You're, yep. And, nec you should and next year I might get a 13 tattoo. Hell yeah. So... Um, that's, <laughs> but like that is banned, but this like extreme superstition around promises that is loosely based on Bible verses is what they practice. On the IFB side though, folks were also like really, really, really weirded out by the whole Cabbage Patch Factory, aka Babyland General Hospital in Georgia. Interesting. That's, that's so funny. Cause like, I do think Cabbage Patch kids were mostly like out of style by the time we were kids like you maybe you would have one if you had like an older sibling or an older cousin that you know got it handed down to you but i think the craze like the fad over them was very much a short-lived thing in like the early and mid 80s so the whole like oh they have like a a, a factory that the babyland general hospital that wasn't even something that i knew about yeah but this is the fundies news travels slow and they hold on to things yeah, exactly. So there was just a lot of general, like, this is demonic paranoia around Babyland General Hospital. So for anyone who doesn't know, you can go to this place in Georgia that's like almost a theme park for or a theme attraction for Cabbage Patch dolls. And the staff dress like doctors and nurses and you can watch the Cabbage Patch dolls being born out of cabbages. It's like a whole themed experience and they're Disney levels of immersive with the theme. This is maybe a little weird even in my book, but you know, do what you do what you like if you're into Babyland General Hospital. I hope that makes you happy. But in Fundy World, I remember like those exact details about Babyland being read as evidence that this was demonic. You, they dress like doctors and nurses and you can watch them be born out of cabbages. Like 
that is the evidence that this is somehow demonic. I mean, that's a little goofy, but it's kind of fun. It's <laughs> it's it's a shtick. Like there there are absolutely people that like that is their thing, and I'm always pro somebody finding that thing that just makes them happy like that one weird thing that just makes them happy as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else i'm always for that i mean i i who knows what will happen if one of the fundies stumbles into like the build-a-bear workshop <laughs> or <laughs> so build-a-bear was a popular gift between couples at heils anderson so evidently really? build-a-bear is not demonic that's interesting, huh? Do are you ready to talk about our next uh, toy on our list? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so next we're doing Power Rangers. Let's go, go, yeah. go, Power Rangers. Let's do it. So Power Rangers were very, very banned in the IFB when I was growing up. Some reasons that I there were a lot of reasons because for some reason that was like the hot thing to hate, hate, hate. If you were a fundy in like 1997 to 2002 was power rangers yeah so some reasons that i remember that we were supposed to hate them were like feminism magical powers demonic activity and the totally inappropriate notion that teenagers are capable of being responsible for anything like they said uh, what yeah well power ranger shows teenagers outwitting the adults and saving the world and having real power and being in charge of things and this is such a weird cognitive dissonance thing about the ifb their whole message is that teenagers don't know anything they're biologically incapable of making good decisions most of the time they're ruled by hormones and that's why they need to follow strict rules and have lots of supervision and mentorship but on the other hand the ifb happily trusts teenagers to work in church ministries and witness to people and take on adult levels of manual labor for the church so the more i think about this the wilder it gets because out of all of the ifb churches that i've ever personally encountered i cannot think of one that doesn't just openly use child labor without even trying to hide it they'll also let teenagers walk around the south side of chicago to try to evangelize people yes and that's fine and if you're ivlp they'll get you married off if you're still a teenager yes and some ifb <laughs> it's like you're you know you're 14 you're old enough to take a younger kid and walk around and change people's eternal destiny from heaven to hell, from hell to heaven. And, but you're, but Power Rangers are bad because they show teenagers saving the world. And there's a girl Power Ranger. Yeah, and there's girl ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. I, I will update you. Um, Jonathan has found the Power Rangers live action show that he watched when he was a kid on Netflix. Oh, hell yeah. And he's been watching that, so I've been watching that with him, so I am finally learning about the Power Rangers. What's your take on it? Good for Charlotte? Bad for Charlotte? She can watch it if she wants. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I see where they're coming from with thinking things are demonic because the show that we've been watching on Netflix is the one that had American actors in some scenes and it's intercut with scenes from a japanese tv show that was the precursor to power rangers and the the bad guys in the japanese show are scary looking the the costumes and the effects i can see why a fundy would look at that with the additional like veil of racism and think oh yeah that's demonic i see it but also the level of fear over the power rangers was really something special you want to go to our next toy 
is it's yes. also a TV show toy combination. Yeah, this is also one that I think is maybe a little bit before our time, but this one we're talking about He-Man and She-Ra. So in the book Turmoil in the Toy Box, which is one of the primary sources that we used for this episode, Turmoil in the Toy Box focuses heavily on the the show uh, and 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 Mattel toy franchise called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe was a line of toys made by Mattel starting in the early 1980s. It was accompanied by like a cartoon show in which He-Man and his band of heroes, including his sister She-Ra, would fight against villains such as like Skeletor. The toy line was successful. The show was successful. It didn't get to the level of Timeless that other lines from Mattel got to like Barbie and Star Wars, but it definitely had staying power. It had cultural relevance beyond its initial era of success. I mean, like I still see He-Man memes on the internet. So like it definitely had that level of staying power where I see that character and I'm like, I know that's He-Man even if I didn't watch the show or if it was a little before my time. Like, you know, you see the He-Man, you see the Skeletor memes. And there's also that video of, you know, the video of He-Man singing What's Up by Four Non Blondes? I don't think I have seen that. I'll send it to you. It's ludicrous. It's pretty funny. It, it was like, a, I guess that blew up on the internet like 10 years ago or more. So you would have still been fundy then. Yeah. It just seems to me like anything that's popular has to be hated by the fundies because if it's popular and mainstream in culture, then it's definitely satanic because mainstream culture that is is satanic because you have to have like a reason to be an insufferable hipster about culture. You can't just hate stuff because it's popular. <laughs> I mean, they're basically hipsters, but just for religious reasons. They're like, oh, that's so mainstream instead of, oh, that's so demonic. But so from what I can work out from having read the, because the, the He-Man chapter in Turmoil in the Toy Box is one of the longer chapters in the book. From what I can work out, the complaints that the fundies have about Masters of the Universe is that the imagery of the toy series borrows from both ancient, um, and by ancient, I mean non-Christian mythology, and also like future technology. So characters will be like part godlike figure and part robot. And the cartoons have a moral message about like the importance of teamwork or, or the importance of friendship or kindness. But the fundies are mad that like not enough time is devoted to this. Like they'll be like the episode is 20 something minutes long and only a minute and 40 seconds is devoted to telling you what the lesson of the episode. Like that was one of the complaints oh you've never seen fundy kids shows have you <laughs> no i the most one of these boring days. moralistic oh. i've seen veggie tales veggie tales is not fundy no because they don't use king james um veggie tales was barely allowed and i had to mute when it used non-king james scripture and also mute the silly songs with larry if they were to rock music that's incredible. That's really funny. Fortunately, I was allowed to listen to Where Is My Hairbrush, and I have successfully integrated that into my never fundy husband's life, which has been great. <laughs> I've started integrating uh, fundy songs that I've heard into my life. I'll just like get them in my head sometimes. When we talk about Britney Dawn, there's a fundy song that's not a fundy children's song that I'm going to have some time to talk about on the Patreon. Oh, fun. Uh, spoiler, we've got a Britney Dawn episode coming in a couple weeks, so watch for that. But the other thing that they're mad about is that He-Man and She-Ra save people from danger, and they believe that the only person ever to be allowed to do any saving of anybody ever is Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. which I kid you not, that is a legitimate complaint that they have in this book is that people get saved by somebody who isn't Jesus, like literally saved in that. Like, are they mad at firefighters? Like, and like Superman is generally allowed. Interesting. I guess Superman's Jewish, so he's fine. <laughs> so they also don't like that. The show has occult imagery, even though like the, any of like the occult imagery that's on there is like the bat, like the villain Skeletor is like the main complaint that they have because his face is a skull, but like he's the villain, which I don't get like, and also his name is Skeletor. You can't have like your villain be named Skeletor and just him just be like a guy who's named Skeletor. I, I don't get it. This may have, so I didn't read Turmoil in the Toy Box, so I'm not for sure, but this might have something to do with the fundy superstition about the power of death. Like, they don't allow anything with a skull on it because really Christians, yeah, because Christians don't really ever die because you die and your body stays here, but your soul goes to heaven with Jesus. And then when the rapture comes, you come back and you get reunited with your body, which turns into a spiritual body. And then you live forever, live forever with Jesus. So a symbol of death is not something you're ever allowed to use. So I couldn't have growing up, I couldn't have anything with a skull on it like any gothy stuff with a skull on it even pirate skull and crossbones was not allowed so the fundies couldn't have uh punisher skulls on the back of their lifted ford f-250 pickup trucks <laughs> next to the thin blue line sticker i had you know what i had left fundy land before that happened and i don't <laughs> the know blue lives matter flag anyway the, the criticism that they have of he-man uh, the criticisms kind of feel extremely weak, even by Fundy standards. So, like in the book, it it really felt like it was eating crackers. Like this is popular, we're just gonna hate it for some very weak reasons. So I did a bit more digging, and I did not have to dig very f- far to find that the characters in Masters of the Universe were clearly queer coded, and the program aired during the 1980s, which was a time when any like queer characters especially on children's care uh cartoons would have had to like fly under the radar but since airing like he-man has kind of become like a gay icon and this has significantly contributed to the staying power and uh, a future success and 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 continued success and like niche success of the franchise in fact like this past june i was uh at pride and in, in the gayborhood and I was walking through the neighborhood, and I saw multiple He-Man cosplayers in Philadelphia. So it's, it's, I mean, it's clearly like still a, a thing. He's clearly still an icon. But of course, all this kind of flies under the radar. I don't know if the fundies really got that or if they were just like something about this doesn't seem right. and We don't like it, but we can't quite tell what it is. It is surprising to me that if they had a problem with the show's queerness, that they wouldn't just come right out and say that it's queer and they don't like it rather than do kind of the spaghetti at the wall criticisms that they've been doing. I don't know. I just think maybe they didn't have enough evidence to call He-Man gay. So they just settled for saying he saved people, but only Jesus can do that. It just seemed kind of. I think you're probably on track with that. Like the queer coding probably went right over their heads. They didn't realize what they were saying, but it was enough to give them a feeling that they didn't like this thing. I also heard criticism, of course, because She-Ra is too feminist and also immodest. 
The phrase masters of the universe is a major issue, obviously, because God is the only master of the universe. And I have the power is an issue because all power comes from God. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 10, among other references. Do they hate the movie Titanic because Leo says I'm king of the world and actually Jesus is king of the world? They hate the Titanic movie because boobs and alcohol and dancing and wet clothing and the car scene. But they probably also have an issue with that line. I don't really know. Oh, that was the other thing is that they said that I have the power is said by the power of Grayskull. They would say that and they would yeah. get really mad that kids were saying by the power of Grayskull because it should only be by the power of Jesus. I don't know. I'm just rolling yeah. my eyes really hard. You might be able to hear it on the microphone, but I'm sure... <laughs> At least you can picture it. Well, you can keep on rolling your eyes because we absolutely have to talk about Smurfs and trolls. I, to clarify, Smurfs and trolls are different things, right? And Smurfs are blue? Yeah, Smurfs are the blue ones. Okay. And trolls are the ones with the hair that look like Albert Einstein. So by the time I was growing up Fundy, it was just kind of established lore that both Smurfs and trolls were satanic. And they were lumped together so much that I had to look up some images to make sure I knew the difference between the two for this episode. It wasn't really questioned. It was just stated as fact, oh yeah, they're satanic. So I didn't get a lot of reasons for why they were satanic in my experience. So I actually had to look up what the fundy reasons for thinking they're satanic are. And it turns out that the presumption of Smurfs being demonic goes back to a few things. So the first one is that they represent death because they're blue and people turn blue or people with light skin turn bluish when they die. Oh, like the, the He-Man Skeletor thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, it's a harbinger of death. There was also reportedly a Smurfs cartoon that showed a character drawing a pentagram, lighting candles at the five points of the pentagram and dancing in it. And really? reportedly, this was on the Smurfs cartoon, and I looked it up, and it turns out that this is almost real, but also totally fake. So I found the episode. Mm -hmm. The episode is called The Winged Wizard. The episode's available on YouTube, and this happens about three minutes and 50 seconds into the episode. This character draws a pentagon and lights candles around the edges and then stands in the pentagon and says an incantation that is supposed to help him catch a smurf so it's not a pentagram it's a pentagon i mean that's still not okay if you're a fundy we, right in, in, but it's not the satanic thing it's a pentagon it's not a pentagram yeah the pentagon is where they're keeping the aliens which according to Brittany dawn are actually demons meant to distract right. us from the Whatever, from the fact that she's got to pay $400,000 in damages because of she's a scammer. Stay tuned two weeks from now when we have our Britney Dawn deep dive. Really stoked for that one. So trolls were also supposedly satanic. I did turn up a article that appears to be from an IBLP or IBLP adjacent source like home birth fundies. Don't vaccinate your kids or get them social security numbers fundies. That story that article told a story about a couple who were trying to have a home birth and the wife was having a lot of trouble in labor and just really struggling with it and god laid it on their hearts that there was something demonic in the house so the husband went through the house and looked for things that might be demonic and he ended up taking all the trolls in a trash bag and taking them out of the house. And as soon as he took the demonic trolls out of the house, the wife was able to give birth easily and have a successful home birth. So that was a trip. I mean, that makes sense to me. Clearly scientific. 
in mm-hmm. their <laughs> practices. Peer review. So, <laughs> can we talk about um, brat stalls? Yes, let's talk about brat stalls. This is maybe one of the things I'm most bitter about because I was right in the age range, I think, for Smurfs and Trolls and Brats. And I was right at the age when this should have been my thing. I was right in there. I grew up playing with Polly Pocket dolls. A lot of our listeners will probably remember those. Those are the little three-inch dolls. They look a lot like a Barbie, but they their body shape is not as an as adult or as unrealistic a proportion. The way they're fashioned, they look more like teenagers. And the clothing for Polly Pocket dolls is rubber, like rubber or some kind of similar plasticky, stretchy material. And I loved those. But I feel that I should have been a Bratz girl, but Bratz were not allowed. Bratz dolls are Jewish. Really? Everything's Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bratz were not allowed. Maybe if I had told the fundamentalists that Bratz were Jewish, then I would have been allowed to have them because you know how they are. (laughs) No, they weren't. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're invented by a Jewish guy. I wish I had known that like 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But brats were not allowed for me in fundamentalism because of the name brats and also because of the styling of the dolls because they look like rebels. And, you know, rebels will always find each other. Oh, no. So that was my non-experience with Bratz dolls, and I'm still a little bit salty about it. I just want to mention that uh, Monster High was also not allowed. Oh, interesting. But that makes sense because they don't like monsters because it could be the beast. I bet. I almost feel like we could uh, come up with, you could come up with a toy and I would have to guess the reason why it wasn't allowed. That sounds fun. We should have done that for this episode. Anyway. We can do that. Next, one of the other things that was talked about in this book was Dungeons and Dragons. So a few months back, we talked to Pastor Noah about how D&D was very eye-opening to him. We talked about how the fear-mongering about D&D came from people who were unable to accurately write about the basic mechanics of the game. And for these reasons, it was difficult for him to take their concerns seriously. Now, what their concerns actually were, obviously, were that the game itself has classes of creatures that fundamentalists believe to be demonic or evil evil and they do things that the fundamentalists believe are demonic or evil such as cast spells you can play as like a demonic character you can play as like a dark wizard much of the mythology is taken from sources that are not christian mythology although some of it is also taken from christian mythology the fundies were also really terrified of dungeons and dragons because they we're under the impression that the DM could just make you do anything. And now that we know people, like now that I know people who actually DM, like uh, Emery is a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons for, I think, his friend group. But now that I know people who actually DM, I'm aware that basically the concept of Dungeons and Dragons, which I've never played, is the DM tries to write a story and make it a really good, really detailed story. And then the people who are playing the game mess it up in every way possible. (laughs) It's like extremely frustrating improv is the impression that I get of this. Of course, if you roll nat ones the whole time, then, you know, the DM can kind of make you do whatever they want. But like, 
But the fundies thought that the DM like had mystical power over people and could make them do things in real life and that D&D would make players unable to tell the difference between fantasy and reality, much like John Todd. Huh. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> and Alberto Rivera and Jack Chick. I've actually played uh, D&D. My girlfriend and I are getting into it. It's a lot of fun. She uh, turned me on to D&D podcasts and I'm really excited. Oh my gosh. So I understand a lot more about the game now than I did when we talked to Pastor Noah about it. You are getting so domesticated and I'm so happy for you. I am getting to, uh, it's true. You predicted that this would happen. I absolutely did. You would do well to listen when I predict things. The other, one of the other reasons why, although one thing that I did think was very interesting is how much of, because the fundies love Lord of the Rings. The fundies absolutely adore high fantasy, as long as it's like clean high fantasy. And, and no, no shade. It's just really not my thing. And, and so much of Dungeons and Dragons is taken from, specifically from high fantasy, from like Tolkien like major major pieces of the way that the game works and the pieces of the inspiration are come from that because the lord of the rings series was very popular in the early 1970s culturally it was very significant it was very culturally culturally popular and that's a lot of where the game comes from yeah i think another issue with dnd &D can be the chance aspect of it fundies can be a little weird about chance games some are totally fine and some are totally not interesting okay tell me about that so any game involving dice for example was a real sticky wicket for the corner of the ifb that i grew up in and it really varied between families like who was allowed to use what like our family was allowed to use dice but only for board games never outside that context so you could roll dice to determine your turn in monopoly but you couldn't take the dice out of the Monopoly box and roll them for fun or to determine something else or anything that remotely resembles gambling. I personally knew several families who are not allowed to use dice at all, so they would use spinners for games that would normally use dice. I also remember some people, have you ever seen the board or played the board game Trouble? The, the dice for Trouble are encased in a little plastic dome in the middle of the board and you push it down and then it pops back up and shakes the dice for you. Have you ever seen that? I've seen that, I think, with a different game that wasn't Trouble. So some people I knew were allowed to use that popper thing to roll dice, but couldn't actually roll them their, themselves like in their hand. Interesting. Okay, so it's a lot of it's just... Because spinning is still like... It's still a chance mm -hmm. element, but I guess it doesn't have the association that dice has with gambling. Right. But roulette is a spinner. Right. And that's like... Uh, also my favorite game in a casino. But there were definitely people who did not play any game that involved chance at all because that was too much like gambling. That was a little bit outside our IFB circles. It would be people that I met, but not people that were in our church or church members. It would be people that I met at a conference or people that I met at something else. So you would meet them and you would be like, okay, well, they take it maybe a little bit too far because you want to play Yahtzee. Right. But that's admirable because they are trying to follow God and live for Jesus. So it's mm. not like, oh, they took it too far. It's like, wow, look at them and everything they've given up for Jesus. <laughs> there are people that are so fundy that they won't invest in the stock market because they consider that gambling. 
I mean, it is gambling. Yeah. I mean, it, I, you know, don't invest any money in the stock market that you aren't prepared to lose. Yeah. But so know. there, there's a range of experiences, but that was mine. So if dice aren't allowed because of gambling, are card games allowed? So similarly to dice, there are highly specific rules that are mainstream, and then every family has their own little quirks. So in my church growing up, anything that used a standard deck of playing cards was completely banned because of the connotation with gambling. Basically, these items are used for so much evil that you shouldn't even have them in your house. So you can't play Go Fish. You can't play... You can play Go Fish with Go Fish cards, but not with a 52 card deck. So, okay, what about solitaire? You can't play solitaire? <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. You're going to love this. So solitaire on a computer is fine. Solitaire with regular playing cards is not allowed because then you have to have like own a deck of cards and you might be tempted to play gambling games. Man. So they're fine with you wasting time at work, but they're just not fine <laughs> with you. <sighs> Yeah, no. you you just you can't own the card deck because if you own the card deck, you might get in a situation where you were tempted to gamble. So when I was a kid, we had like a handheld Yahtzee game, and my dad would play it like all the time, like constantly. And but he would never let me have a Game Boy because he didn't like video games, and he was like begrudgingly allowing me to have like GameCube or Nintendo Wii. But he wouldn't let me have like a Game Boy Advance or like a Nintendo DS. But he would have the handheld Yahtzee game. Is that kind of, is like a handheld Yahtzee game okay if you're not allowed dice games? I had a bunch of handheld games like that. I loved those. I remember that we had a Connect Four one and a Solitaire one. So that might be an exception. And it depends on, that would be one of the things that comes down to your pastor or your family. So my family, we were allowed to have dice only for board games, not allowed to use them outside of board games. But we could have games on a computer we could have games on a computer that used playing cards but couldn't have playing cards in the house but i'm sure that there was some family out there who wasn't okay with yahtzee in real life but would let their kids have the handheld game because there's no actual rolling involved it's like they think that the muscle memory of rolling dice out of your hand is going to tempt you to gamble well it's kind of like the way that when people are talking about because i have a family member who quit smoking and by quitting his way of quitting smoking was switching to like pistachios so that he could like shell the pistachios with his hand and put them in his mouth mm -hmm. and that was the thing that like did the thing in his brain that was he was like i want a cigarette no i'm gonna eat some pistachios instead mm. i mean they're not totally like insane for that it's just a little bit strict I can kind of see, all I'm trying to say is I can kind of see where they're coming from. You're saying this isn't the weirdest fundy prohibition you've ever heard. No. Yep. It's, it's, it's very specific. You know what this is like? Because I'm used to the concept of really weird and specific rules because they're all of like the things that you aren't allowed to do on Shabbat if you're observant. But the difference is, and I guess it is kind of similar, is that there is usually a way to kind of get around whatever the rule is. So they intentionally like, they're like, okay, well, this is the rule, but you can, there's a loophole here. And so you can do it this way. So it's like the thing where you you can't push the buttons on the elevator. So they make like Shabbat elevators that just stop on every floor. Yeah. It's that kind of thing that I'm sort of seeing with this. And that's sort of where like culturally, like, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, this definitely made me think of Shabbat rules. There are all these, like all these rules and all these exceptions. And it's really fascinating to me. 
one of my favorite is you can't rip or tear things. So that makes it hard to use toilet paper. So some observant Jews will pre-tear a stack of toilet paper for Shabbat use. That's one of that's one of my favorite loopholes. I think that one's really neat. That's so specific. Yeah. And then also like timers on ovens and light switches are really cool because um you can't turn on the oven because turning or turn on a light because turning something on is work but you can set a timer the night before to turn it on at a specific time the next day also the whole thing where there's an unbroken wire around multiple blocks of an area of a city because one rule is you can't walk more than a certain distance outside your own house but if there's a wire around an area that makes it count as a house so you can walk unlimited distance within that wire it's just very interesting the way that they think of ways and and the rules are because with the fundies they're constantly like making up more rules to like they're kind of one-upping each other on who can be more yeah but like because like have you ever had cholent i don't think so it's like if jews made chili like this this is a food that was invented because they could just basically let it simmer for a long time so you like put it on the night before or before the sun goes down the night before and so it'll still be going and it'll still be hot lunchtime the Mm -hmm. next day and you just cook it for a really long time yeah uh i would point out though the difference in my mind between the fundy rules and jewish rules is the element of fear with jewish rules they do it because it's their tradition and their observance but in fundy world there's always there's always this element of fear it's you don't do this because millions of demons might get into your house or don't do this because your children will get in the habit of rolling dice and that muscle memory will lead them into being a gambling addict one day. It's almost like when we talk about the difference between the IFB and the IBLP, when they do the same thing, they do it for different reasons. And when they do different things, they're doing it for the same reason. And I think I think that element of fear is the different reason that makes, that's one thing that makes Fundy rules different from Jewish rules in my mind. It seems to me like almost anybody can say, I'm convicted of this new rule. And then now suddenly kind of everybody has to follow it. That's a really good point, because from what I understand, there are a lot of groups within Orthodox Judaism and everybody practices just a little bit differently. So the interpretation of the rules can vary a lot, but the rules are the rules and you don't go making up new ones or calling other people sinners because they don't follow your rules. And in fundamental, I mean, you might, (laughs) you might. Some people, I mean, some people do get very judgmental about that sort of thing, and you can get kicked out of certain communities, and you can get like disowned by your community in certain ones. Um, but it's not because of a rule you made up; it's because of an interpretation, your community's interpretation of a rule. Yeah, I'm not trying to set one up as good and one up as bad. I just think there are differences between. So, in fundamentalist Christianity, it turns into a keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. One guy from the church decides that any game where you roll dice is evil and his kids aren't allowed to play it. And then none of the other kids from the church can play board games with that guy's kids unless they use a spinner. But then some other guy is going to try to one-up the first guy and say, oh, well, the spinner is still a game of chance and that's still bad. So then everyone else is feeling pressured or shamed into giving up spinners too. I guess. And and you do have like anxiety about these things too. And you do think about these things for a long time. Yeah. And try to see how you're convicted. Because like I, I do have friends who like were raised Orthodox and then they got out of that but they still have anxiety as as residual from growing up and having to worry about all of the rules that they have to rule or that they have to pay attention but yeah i think oh, some people are prone to anxiety or religious anxiety or religious ocd 
And any high control environment or high rules environment that you grow up in can potentially trigger those things if you're the person that's prone to it. Because religious trauma is religious trauma. And if there's anything we're not about here, it's discounting somebody's religious trauma or playing the better or worse game. It is a little different when we're talking about like the satanic panic and toys specifically, because even in some orthodox groups that would enforce these rules by fear, it's not a fear of hell or demons. So it's the it can be a similar thing for a very different reason. But to get back to your question about card games, which started this whole thing, yes. most typically card games that don't use a 52 card deck or combinations thereof are fine. So Uno, Phase 10, anything like that is typically allowed. If Uno isn't allowed, then the Mormons certainly can't get into heaven. <laughs> so do you want to do like one more, more contemporary, uh, it's actually a video game? Yeah, let's talk video games, and then we're going to go to break. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about Barbie. So this was not something that was banned for me. I stumbled across this while looking up verses and references for other things in this episode, but it was too good not to include. And that is fundamentalist reasons to not play Minecraft. Interesting. Okay. So evidently, Minecraft has a second dimension called the Nether, where there is lava and bad guys and stuff you might need i don't know uh players take a diamond pickaxe and use that to create a portal to the nether i hope i'm getting this right because i played minecraft exactly once for like five minutes i've never played minecraft but i've heard people people seem to like it and it seems like a lot of fun but did you know that the nether in minecraft represents hell because there's fire and lava and it's dark and you hear scary noises down there and minecraft was predicted in the good old king james version that doesn't surprise me at all that sounds exactly like the thing that would happen so there are two verses in the bible that use the word nether uh, Ezekiel 32.18 and Ezekiel 32.24. Both of them also contain the phrase, the pit. Psalm 139.8 says, if I, attend, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And it is impossible to build a bed in the nether in Minecraft. So Minecraft is telling you that because you can't build a bed in hell, then God is not there with you when you play Minecraft. Jeremiah 17.1 says, uh, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. And Matthew 7.13 says, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So in the words of the website, videogamesinthebible.com, quote, Players take a point of a diamond and use it to create a wide gate that leads directly to destruction than other parts of the earth, then the game rewards you for it. Ah, uh, spooky hell. I feel like the person that figured that out, the person who like was like playing Minecraft and they're like, wait a minute. They must have felt like a genius. They're just oh, like, yeah, like they absolutely did. They they must have been just like waiting to tell everybody that they knew about it. <laughs> they had to make a whole website about it. I mean, props to them. <laughs> this is so, really in the reason. I mean, so so Minecraft is banned, but Call of Duty is fine. Weirdly, Minecraft was not banned when I was in the IFB, so they must not have known about the clear and evident satanic connection, but Call of Duty was totally allowed because that's patriotic. So you can machine gun civilians to death in the Moscow airport, but you can't build a castle and like fill it with corn or whatever it is people do when they play Minecraft. Well, to be fair to the website videogamesandthebible.com, they do that particular website also has significant problems with Call of Duty. 
uh, the website cites that the weapons are too powerful and that makes people into having godlike powers, which is problematic. Also, that the character Alex Mason is an analog for Satan and that Raul Menendez is a false messiah, among other issues with the game Call of Duty. Okay, well, I don't remember any of the names of any of the characters from Call of Duty, but I think that if you think that guns are so powerful that they give you almost godlike powers, then maybe we should consider not having as many guns in our society in general. Um, Food for thought. Food for thought. Well, with that, let's go take up the offering break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the toy of the hour that everyone is talking about right now. And that's Barbie. I also watched some of Ben Shapiro's Barbie movie breakdown that was... Please don't do his voice. I might do his voice just for a little bit. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. And we are back from our break. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to talk about... um, We're going to spend the second half of this article talking about the toy of the moment, the woman of the moment, Barbie. And of course, we are going to talk about the Barbie movie, but we want to talk about it as a toy first, because we are talking today about banned toys in fundamentalism. Yeah. So were you allowed to have Barbie growing up? So that's kind of a complicated story. I want to tell, I've told like the very short version in the Facebook group. I'll tell the whole story. So at first, I was not allowed to have Barbie for multiple reasons. Number one, because as the website HerHighCalling.com said, quote, Barbie is and always has been a whorish woman. Oh, but because, you know, she is too sexualized, is does not wear modest clothing. uh, Her feet are made to wear high heels and that's slutty even though that doesn't make any sense because the fundamentalists that I was raised by encourage women to wear high heels. I mean, all of fundamentalism kind of has a foot fetish. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, the other reason I was not allowed to have her is because Barbie is a feminist. Uh, and as they informed us in the Barbie movie, Barbie has solved all of the problems of feminism and made the word the world perfect for all women and little girls. I wish it were true. <laughs> but I I wasn't um I wasn't allowed to want to grow up to be the president or a doctor or a lawyer or anything other than Midge, which is pregnant Barbie. We were not allowed to have, um, well, I was not allowed to have any Barbies when I was very young. And then later on, a woman in our church was like, a, this is the church that I attended in Iowa before my dad became a pastor. There was a lady in our church who was one of those like Wayland Smithers level Barbie collectors. Oh, who has, mm -hmm, that's like fun. every that Barbie one. ever in the original box. It was her thing. It was her thing. And she donated, she wanted to give the girls in the church a lot of her old Barbies that were out of the box and didn't have any value, but so that people could actually play with them and enjoy them. Oh, that's cute. What a kind thing to do. Yeah. I remember it was a huge debate among the parents of the church on whether they were going to allow us to have Barbie. The consensus ended up being we could have Barbie as long as we would always dress them in modest clothing and never leave them lying around naked where any boy or man could potentially see them and lust after Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> this was a very serious conclusion to the question, is it okay for six and seven-year-old girls in our church to play with Barbie? Within Fundy rules, though, I have to say that at least is consistent. Yes, but how f***ed up is it to put... So, like, you put the onus on six- and seven-year-old girls to cover their own bodies lest an adult man lust after them, which is already so many levels of deeply f***ed up and shameful and causes harm to AFAB people who grow up in the IFB movement. But now you have also put the onus on six- and seven-year-old girls not to forget to dress their dolls lest a man lust after them. Yeah, that is really sad. That is that that is it's such an example of how purity culture and modesty culture are enforced upon very young people in the IFB, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's just such a poignant, I think, example like this is how bad it was. Not only are you to feel incredible deep shame over your own body, but you also should feel that same shame over the body of your baby doll or your Barbie doll. So um, we all, a lot of us made like handmade modest clothes for Barbie. I remember going to the store as a little kid and looking at Barbies to see what I could get it, like what would be modest enough <laughs> because Barbies didn't have to exactly follow the IFB dress code. Like if a Barbie had a long princess, I know I had several that were like, that were different forms of princess Barbies. If a Barbie had a long dress and sleeves that covered her shoulders, but they were kind of cap sleeves, a lot of clavicle and upper chest on display, um, that I would be fine. Uh, that would be allowed. Or if a Barbie had a dress that came down only to the top of her knee and not to the bottom of her knee, that was allowed. But even if she was a, uh, like, was totally covered up, but she was like a scientist Barbie and she was wearing a lab coat, that wouldn't have been allowed. Correct. Ugh. Yeah, no, no feminist Barbies. So, uh, so IFB 
children who are allowed to play with Barbies, uh, which is not by far all of them, get the best, get all of the worst of Barbie without any of the best of Barbie, I think. I do remember, so we're going to talk about the Barbie movie in a little bit, and, and Midge, the pregnant Barbie, is a recurring joke in the movie. So uh, let me let, let me Google real quick. I want to find out when Midge came out. That is a very, I mean, I understand why they would make that, but that's a kind of a weird thing to make. It wasn't the fact that she was pregnant that was the problem, I don't think. The problem was that you could like slide her belly open and take a little baby doll out. Oh, I think no. that's that's what weirded people out. That was what that was what that was what freaked people out. It wasn't that she was pregnant. The fundies loved pregnant Barbie. <laughs> wow. Thing I mean, think about it. She's fulfilling her God honoring gender role by having a baby. So I looked it up and Midge came out in 2003. I would have guessed 2001. So I was pretty, I was pretty close. I would have still been Barbie age. So I would have been 10 when Midge came out. And I remember seeing the Midge doll in the stores and the, the general fundy opinion of Midge being pretty, pretty positive. Like, oh, she's fulfilling her God-given gender roles. She's going to have a baby. You know, little girls need to learn about, about birth because they're all going to grow up to have a bunch of babies. And this is cool and fine. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Midge was discontinued uh, very shortly after <laughs> she was first made. But I remember being a little kid and thinking, why is this controversial? That's what people, that's what women do. They have a bunch of babies. So Barbie was like kind of okay in your house growing up, like conditionally okay. Yeah, very, yeah, lots of conditions and unfortunately conditions that are just really kind of icky and shame inducing. But I was, I did have a Barbie doll. I don't know what happened to her. If you're listening to this, it's been like about a week and a half, two weeks since we recorded the first half of the episode. That's why I sound different. I'm not sick anymore. Uh, and, and you know, we both had to like go and see the movie between the time that we recorded the first half and now. In that time, I actually had a conversation with my mom who was born in the 1950s. And so, and, and Barbie was released as a toy in 1959. It was created by Ruth Handler, who was the wife of uh, uh, Mattel's co-founder. And it was released in 1959. So she grew up with Barbie. She's like first generation Barbie. That's very cool. Yeah. So like when, when she was growing up that like Barbie was just like a popular toy. It was like a popular fashion doll for girls when she was a kid. And what she told me, what my mom told me, granted, I'm uh, the middle or, or I have an older brother and I have a younger sister. I wouldn't have been playing with with Barbie, but my younger sister, I think she might have had one or two, but like it wasn't really a very popular toy when I was a kid, at least within the the parents of the kids who I was hanging out with and who my sister was hanging out with. Because in like 1992, I think it was, there was a Barbie that was released where she said something like, Math class is tough. Like it had a little voice box in it that could talk. And one of the things that it said was that, or, or it said math class is difficult or something like that. The parents were just like, this is teaching women and girls that they can't do math. And it's against, and, and so that was like, Barbie, I think was kind of out of fashion for a little bit. So it's Malibu Stacy. Yeah. And I think Ma okay. Malibu Stacy, and I went back and I actually looked this up and apparently like 
the Malibu Stacy, I think it was, it might've been like a little bit unfair to Barbie and it might've been like a little bit of like a, a pylon and a little bit of a panic. Because if you think about what feminist culture was in the 1990s. Yeah. And I like, I remember 90s feminism really well because I was hearing about it from the pulpit all the time. Like the thing I remember hearing a ton about was uh, women in construction and other manual labor, male dominated fields and how terrible that was and how all women who are construction workers are, are man-hating lesbians and they think that all men should be killed and that women should run the world and, and that kind of thing. Based. So, <laughs> yeah, so for, the, <laughs> for those who like are not Simpsons people, uh, the Simpsons episode from season five of The Simpsons, it's Lisa versus Malibu Stacy, And all of Lisa Simpson's seven and eight year old classmates are obsessed with this Barbie analog doll called Malibu Stacy, who says non-feminist things like math is hard. And um, what's the other thing? There's another thing she says, something about baking cookies. Let's all forget all our troubles with a big bowl of strawberry ice cream. And Lisa, of course, being a tiny feminist, is appalled by this. And she tries to make a new doll who says feminist things and empowerment phrases. And when I get married, I'm keeping my last name. <laughs> yes, that's one of the things that Lisa's doll says. And, um, it's not as popular as Malibu Stacy because Malibu Stacy has a pink dress and a new hat. They release the company who owns Malibu Stacy releases a version of Malibu Stacy with a new hat. And that wins the hearts of her childhood classmates away from her feminist version of Malibu Stacy and towards the old version with a new hat. This Simpsons episode is really, it's fine because Lisa's character is supposed to be an over the top feminist. Lisa gets into all sorts of causes throughout the simpsons i think in season eight she becomes a vegetarian and uh she gets into buddhism at one point and when she gets into a cause she just goes ham for it she gets into environmentalism and the um there's that episode where there's a strike at the nuclear plant and <laughs> when she gets into a cause she just just fully goes into it and she has a good understanding of what she's getting into, but not a great, not a complete understanding because she's not an adult. So I thought the the Lisa versus Malibu Stacy episode was um, a great perspective. <laughs> and I'm sure that's what it really was like in the 90s when the feminist backlash against Barbie happened. Well, you know, I do think it's interesting to kind of compare that to now, because if you look at like what the feminist culture was in the 90s, it now it seems as though there is much more of an embrace of femininity saying rather than stop like rather than it, it seems more of just like an acceptance that femininity isn't synonymous with weakness yes and and i love that i love that because i'm not that feminine but i love it for the people who are and i love it for also acceptance of domestic labor within feminism because i i think honestly 20 years ago if twitter if twitter existed 20 years ago and social media existed 20 years ago and podcasting existed 20 years ago i think i might take a lot more flack for claiming to be a feminist and standing up for feminist values and egalitarian values 
and still doing like the amount of unpaid domestic labor that I do. And now I don't get I don't get flack for that because now it's accepted being a full-time parent and not working outside the home is just simply the correct choice for a lot of families to have one parent do that. And statistically, it makes sense that at least half of those people would be women because half of people roughly are women. Slightly more. Yeah, you're right. Slightly more, like 50.1%, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I I think that I rate the benefits of that refinement of feminism that's happened in the last couple of decades. Do you want to transition into talking about the movie now? Yeah, absolutely. I want to know what what are your thoughts on the movie? What did you like about it? I really enjoyed it. I I got a lot out of it. Um I've seen both Barbie and Oppenheimer. I personally liked Barbie better, but I think that's just because I like comedies. I also love a a movie on the shorter side. Yeah. Although I will have to say, I I don't think that Oppenheimer felt like a three-hour movie. The pacing was really good. Yeah, I've not seen it, but I appreciate hearing that. Um, I really enjoy a movie under two hours. I wouldn't recommend for you personally seeing it in theaters just because I know that you don't like loud noises in the movie theater yeah. and the sound the sound design of that movie was very like there's loud noises in this and it's very striking so i wouldn't recommend that you see oppenheimer in theaters but um yeah barbie was a very quiet movie and it was still too loud for me at at points no i do think that like after having watched it and then going back and watching several scenes of it in isolation um i i quite enjoyed the movie and i also I mean, what I was saying earlier, I, I think that it's very interesting to look to use this movie as a way to look at the way that femininity has been portrayed in film and TV and how that's changed. So like over the past decade, I think that like the trope of quote unquote strong female lead has sort of fallen out of fashion. You know what I'm saying? In, in 2023, that trope feels a bit chuggy. Yeah. And if we were going to go back 10 years ago, I think that female lead characters in big movies were much more likely to be part like the, the I'm not like other girls trope rather than movie like this, where it's much more femininity is good. It's not bad. And it's not uh, synonymous with being weaker or less capable. And I think that Barbie is a good example of that. I think that this movie is far closer to like a legally blonde than like a Captain Marvel. Not saying I don't like Captain Marvel, not to pile on because I know all the neckbeards hate that movie. I thought it was fine, but just as far as like the the way that femininity is portrayed. My favorite fact about the Barbie movie was that they used so much pink in the set design that it caused an international shortage of pink paint for a while. That's really funny. I love that. I love that because I think this it gets into gender theory so easily. Because when you associate things that do not have a gender, like the color pink or clothing materials like satin and lace or hair that grows out of people's heads and may or may not be long or blonde, when you attach those things that are inherently non-gendered because they are not people and do not have a gender to one gender and that is female, then those things take on the connotation of like oh that belongs to only girls that belongs to only women and then 
misogyny comes in and says, well, being a woman is a bad thing and it means you're weak and it means that you're not very smart. It means that, and then we, we associate these things that are harmless and without gender with that misogyny. So I think that people who are feminists can kind of steer away from, oh, I don't want to wear pink because that is associated in my mind with all the misogyny that I've experienced. I don't want to look feminine because when I look feminine, it brings up all the memories of all the misogyny that I've experienced. And as we grow as people, like in our understanding of what gender is and our understanding of all of these concepts, I hope that people can get to a place where pink is just a color. And if you like it, you should wear it. And if you don't like it, you should not wear it. And that's it. I like pink. I like wearing pink. I think you pull pink off. I've seen you wear pink, I think. It's good because I have a slightly more like olive skin tone. And if you wear mm-hmm. pink and you have like an olive skin tone, it makes you look super tan, which is really And funny. I don't wear a lot of pink, but I have just realized in the last couple of years that I actually like pink. I think when I met you, you had pink hair. I did. I had pink hair for a while. That felt different. But I... <laughs> had a little bit of a panic before I went and saw the Barbie movie because I thought, oh no, I don't have any pink shirts. And then I realized I have exactly one pink shirt and I have pink Doc Martin sandals. So thank goodness I had something to wear. Yeah. I've seen the Barbie movie described on Twitter as a couple of different things. Uh, people have criticized it for being feminism 101 or white feminism 101. But one person used a description that really stood out to me. And they they called it baby food for feminism. Hmm. And that person on Twitter's point was babies need baby food. People who don't know anything about something need an introduction to that thing. And it's it's fair to criticize it for being too basic, for being feminism 101, for being baby food for feminism. It's not inappropriate to criticize it on this, this movie on those grounds. But remember that people need an introduction to something. That being said, I had the same experience that everybody else is having at Barbie, which is that there were men behind me talking through the entire movie. Yuck. These were younger. These are young kids. I think they were maybe like 14 and 11 because I turned around with the intention of turning my phone flashlight on and like shining it on them and asking them to be quiet and i turned around with that intention and i saw that they're they're kids kids and i thought uh okay i will leave it be that's a, that's still annoying though that's that's just bad etiquette no matter where you are it is and they should know better but i thought my intended response was larger than it needed to be for people who are half of my age or younger i turned around hoping that they were like 19 because I was about to start yelling. But they were they were young enough that I felt like that would be too cruel, too much. That's kind of annoying. Is it do you think that's enough to was that enough to like ruin your experience or you still get it still hit for you? Oh, it's still it still hit for me. I missed some lines and I missed some jokes because it was distracting. Uh-huh. But um not the end of the world. That's a bummer cuz that movie was really funny. I I'm going to watch it again when it's when it goes to streaming, so So one thing that I thought was very interesting, and I was reading about this, and and this has been kind of going around. And uh, apparently, back in like 2016, they were going to do a Barbie movie, and they had Amy Schumer attached to do it. 
but she's kind of split from the project over creative differences. And apparently it was going to be much more of like a, like a girl boss feminism thing than like Mm -hmm. what it ended up being. I think that's interesting because I've, no feminist scholar, but I didn't feel like, and what you were saying about the baby food made sense to me. If, I, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm interested in getting into hip hop music, I would tell them to go listen to The Chronic by Dr. Dre. I listened to that the other day. Yeah, great album, you know, or or something. Jonathan was testing his, his stereo system at the new house. Yeah, trying to see if the bass hits. Yep. I mean, I, I would I would tell them to go listen to something that's that's very, like, approachable from a a, at a basic level and but also enjoyable also good quality i wouldn't be like you know what you should go listen to you should go listen to this album "Mm, food by mf doom like no no, that's that album's too weird there's like all all the skits in it don't make a lot of sense and you have to like really be into the genre and have a really specific taste to like that and so i think that uh what you were saying about the um about the baby food analogy but I do hope that I hope that the incredible success of the Barbie movie, let's hope that there are other filmmakers and other writers out there who will make the stake of feminism movies <laughs> who, you know, who will make something that's that's a lot more hard hitting. I mentioned this. This has been this has been maybe a few months ago, but I mentioned you'll remember what episode it is. I won't. But we were talking about people who go to college and they get really radicalized into some point of view, like an anti-capitalist point of view or a radical gender theory point of view, and they become a little too evangelical about it. And they say inflammatory things on Twitter. And my point in that episode was, I appreciate the existence of those people because those people who are maybe even what i would say is too radical for me or more radical than my personal point of view those people are the people who push us forward those people are the people who open the normies eyes to take a step further than they already were like normal people like me can read what they have to say and think huh that's not for me but i did like this one thing they said i'm gonna think about that so i hope that that kind of feminist movie will maybe piggyback off of the success of the Barbie movie. Unfortunately, not everybody liked this movie as much as we did. What? Not everyone loved this movie? Uh, Yeah. uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, you are probably aware that some people did not enjoy this movie. Some people uh, believed it's the woke agenda. Some people believed it's... uh, Hey, Gavi. What? Was Was it men? mostly yes mostly (laughs) wow what a guess how did i possibly get that including bill maher hated it i heard i didn't watch his uh, complaint about it because he's usually just an old man who's yelling at a cloud yeah that would require listening to him talk and i can't do that the dude's just too smug he's like his personality is smug I I don't like that man at all. No, but I did uh, suffer through uh, Ben Shapiro's, his video titled Ben Shapiro destroys Barbie movie for 43 minutes. Is that really the title? That's literally the, because like, you know how it's a thing on YouTube where if there's like a YouTuber that like is like a commentary YouTuber, who's like a music critic or like a movie critic and there will be like a pet artist or a pet filmmaker or a pet like whatever topic or they could be like a critic of legos and they could s- say that they hate a certain lego set 
And then somebody will do like a compilation of every time that they've negatively mentioned that Lego set and make a compilation YouTube video being like X YouTuber destroys X Lego set for 14 minutes. And it'll be like 14 minutes. It's just like a compilation of all the time of them hating on that. It's, it's a YouTube thing, but then Ben Shapiro basically did that for himself. Yeah. I, I didn't, I don't know about like these naming conventions on YouTube because the only YouTube I watch is Sunday Fridays and Ask a Mortician, and that's it. You know what? You're probably better off for that. I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. Um, Disclaimer. Yes, I know there's been criticism about Ask a Mortician. Yes, I take what she says with a grain of salt. I like her videos. Don't come for me. I don't have time for that this time. Thank you. I do need to say, though, cause, so Ben Shapiro's video is titled uh, Ben Shapiro Destroys uh barbie movie for 43 minutes well the video is only 42 minutes and 45 seconds so checkmate libs what? Um, yeah <laughs> he didn't have 15 seconds left in him yeah oh he had to go spend that 15 seconds with his wife got it <laughs> <laughs> yeah man Ugh. rubbed raw uh <laughs> third degree burns me and uh were like let's play a drinking game based on this video and we had to take a shot if he act acknowledged something good about the movie it's, and you have to take an extra shot if it was backhanded <laughs> had to take a shot every time he complained about how often they use the word patriarchy i had to take a shot every time he complained about a plot hole that isn't actually a plot hole how wasted did you get we got 15 minutes into this youtube video and we had to turn it off because we were too drunk to continue it was uh <laughs> it was a problem <laughs> No, it, we would not have done that, but we were pre-gaming to go out to to meet some friends at at uh, at a bar that was going to be good. Uh, drink at home, save money. Having watched Ben Shapiro's YouTube video, I am convinced that he watched a different movie than we did. Well, he posted a picture of himself <laughs> in the theater in his his little outfit with his little boots. <laughs> Ben doesn't understand who the audience of this film is, and he thinks that this movie is for moms and children who are seven years old, which is weird oh. to me because the movie is PG-13. But like part of the evidence that he gives for this is that he's like, oh, when I was when I saw the previews of the movie, they had a preview for the new Trolls movie and they had a preview for like a cartoon movie or whatever. And when I saw the movie, I got a preview for some like three way tennis sex movie with Zendaya. So I don't know. I saw like it on a on a Sunday afternoon matinee show. I had previews for the Trolls movie. I had previews for the Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think what else. I wasn't really paying attention. Oh, in the new color purple movie. Oh yeah, I saw that one. Does he think that movie previews are like targeted ads on your phone? I mean, I think he does. I don't know. Like I they granted, <laughs> I did I saw Oppenheimer yesterday, and the previews that I saw during Oppenheimer were different from the ones that I saw for Barbie. And uh, granted, I did see it like two weeks later, so the previews might have been different, but I didn't see the previews for the Trolls movie. I saw previews for like the new Exorcist movie, and I saw previews for uh, uh, The Creators, which was a cool like robot AI future movie that looked kind of good. I may have seen uh, Oh, I had one for Blue Scorpion. Blue oh Beetle, yeah, Blue Beetle. Yeah, one. I saw that one. Yeah, which actually looked kind of cool. The CG on that one looked cool. I'm not big on comic book movies anymore, really. Me either, but the 
that one, the preview for that one kind of won me over. So he thought that because the previews were for kids movies, that meant that Barbie was a, a kids movie, regardless of being rated PG-13. Yes. And he specifically kept saying it's for uh, seven and eight year olds. And, and why, why did he think that the world needed him to review a movie that was for moms and children when he is neither a mother nor a child? Because he's not just a, a far right YouTuber and a political guy he's also a cultural critic but after watching his quote-unquote takedown of this movie i understand why he was not good enough at understanding plot and themes and the basic elements of storytelling to be a nepo baby wow and anybody can be a nepo baby except Ben Shapiro because he has no semblance of understanding of storytelling. Oh, I do have to add in a joke that made while we were watching his video. And I do have to give her credit for this because it was pretty funny. She said, Ben not understanding who the audience of this film is and not being able to make his wife come are related. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be the, the same issue. He was like saying, this movie, I bet it's going to be like a box office hit right at the beginning, but the everyone's going to hate it because it's so bad and it makes no sense. <laughs> and it's going to bomb in week two. And now it's like, as we're recording this, I think like in the past few days, they announced that it crossed a billion dollars of yeah. box office. So like, <laughs> checkmate libs. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is I don't have this. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but this is one of the biggest movies in a very long time. And it's also the biggest movie that's not like a sequel of a different movie. Granted, it is like a franchise that people know about, like a toy franchise that people know about and they're making a movie out of it. But it's not the same as like, oh, the new Marvel movie or the new Star Wars movie is the biggest movie of the year. Yeah. And it's also, I think, is it the largest, the most successful ever female directed movie? I think so. I don't know. The Matrix might have been higher. I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to look at that. But I do think that it is a very far right man thing to take something that is not for you and then say, well, clearly this can't be for anybody. I mean, I grew up, here's the thing. I grew up having a Barbie, but I grew up completely prevented from accessing Barbie culture. Like I know about the, um, so earring magic Ken, I like, I know about him because I had found out about him as an adult, like all of these jokes in the movie that are referencing to Barbie culture and nineties Barbie culture, I missed all of that. I only know any of that if I picked it up as an adult and I still thought the movie was fun. I don't know what his excuse is for not knowing, for like not being able to pick up on all of these fun jokes. I think that part of it is that he he's looking at this movie and he's saying, I don't like this. Or he's saying, I because he, he views femininity as for, for, whatever he may say about valuing women in traditional gender roles, he views femininity as weakness. I mean, yes, that's, that's the whole thing. Right. And so he can't imagine a world in which other people don't view femininity as weakness. And therefore, when he looks at a movie like Barbie, all of these jokes, of, all of these like little in jokes about Barbies that were made in the past 
or like midge the pregnant barbie being kind of weird just it's just all of these like really he he doesn't understand that those come from a genuine and earnest love for this toy and what this toy represents to a lot of people and so he looks at something that is deeply in earnest and he says well clearly this is cynical and then he right lampoons it from the perspective of clearly this is cynical because they couldn't actually possibly like this thing and be portraying this thing as good right because he ha- he associates femininity and anything feminine as so overwhelmingly negative that he can't even imagine a world in which femininity is good much less a world in which femininity is celebrated and he's like he probably thinks that the barbie constitution that has barbies running everything in an all-female supreme court which by the way was the first time i cried watching barbie <laughs> um but like the like he can't see he sees that as like telling he sees an all-female supreme court in the barbie movie and he thinks that the movie director is telling him that these are the bad guys like he thinks that that they're informing him that this is satire or that these are the bad guys in charge he's he's missing the parallels to reality like the opposite world the bizarro world of reality that they're showing us in barbie land and he's complaining in his review one of his chief complaints about this movie at least in the first 15 minutes of the movie because i didn't get all the way through his i mean the first 15 minutes of his review because i didn't get all the way into his review is that ken only views himself as a person through the lens of when barbie is paying attention to him and he's complaining he's like at the end of the movie they just go back to that but like at the end of the movie they don't go back to that also sorry spoiler warning if you didn't see them like if you watch the movie part of it is like look if you view yourself as only valuable if women are paying attention to you then that's a recipe for disaster both in your life and the lives of all of the people that are around you and that is a very salient point that i think a lot of young men have yet to grasp yes like this is obviously a female empowerment movie but it ought to also be seen as a male empowerment movie i mean I because am enough. because true <laughs> in, you are kenuff i am kenuff you are because true feminism wants equality liberation liberation and individual individuality individuality like each person is their own person not belonging to a partner or a parent or anyone belonging to or or their creator in the you know in the uh in the case of barbie at the end of the movie it's you don't need permission from others or others approval to do what you want you do it i do can i do a sidebar about the the end ending couple scenes with the creator of barbie yes go for it uh this has been really i i will say actually this is maybe the one place the movie missed for me a little bit because i've been hearing about how this is such a great like deconstruction moment if you look at barbie confronting the creator of barbie like a person who's deconstructing confronting god if you look at it the way that it's written in the movie as almost a mother-daughter thing i think it's a great scene it didn't quite hit the deconstruction points i was hoping it would hit perfectly good scene in the context of the movie um i just felt like there were other parts of the movie that were more deconstruct arena (laughs) 
what did you feel about the part where she has to come to the realization oh i'm a person <laughs> because that was something that i remember you talking about on this show that you had to come to a realization that you were a person I think honestly, during that scene, I was still crying so hard from another scene that I didn't fully get to absorb that scene. Checkmate Libs, Greta Gerwig, you made a bad movie. Your movie was so good. <laughs> it was bad and people missed the point. <laughs> no, I, I like, like that. I, I think I was still distracted from crying over a different scene. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Just a little sidebar is that Ben Shapiro did say Greta Gerwig has no audience, which is funny because Greta Gerwig wrote and directed Little Women and Lady Bird and has been nominated for three Academy Awards and is also going to be directing the Snow White remake that's coming out next year. And yes, clearly Greta Gerwig has no audience. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> uh can i okay can i tell you about what i thought was actually the most like deconstructorina moment in the movie before we jump back to finish ben, Shab ben shapiro's review please i thought the most deconstruction moment in the movie was one that's been memed a lot so it won't actually be much of a spoiler if you're on the internet but it's when she wakes up and her feet are flat and don't fit in her high heels the way that they did for me that was such a perfect analogy of like when you start deconstructing and you realize that you have crossed a line that you can't go back and you are now different from the manufactured world around you and there is all of a sudden like you can hide it because you can put on the high heels and other people around you don't necessarily see it unless you show them but there is something different about you and there has been a line crossed that you cannot uncross and you are now not the same as all the people in the world around you. I never would have got that if you hadn't pointed it out to me. 
that was just the one there are plenty of like good deconstruction moments in this movie that was the one that hit me and now next time i go back and watch this movie my enjoyment of it will be enhanced from having talked to you about it oh thank you for saying that that's really kind of you I got a lot of enjoyment about out of this movie because I thought that, I mean, it, it was a comedy, but also it was very much like, a, it's also like a feminist movie. Yeah, I, I loved that. And I loved like, <laughs> I cried so much. I cried so much during this movie. But the last line, which I'm not going to spoil because it is that good. And I'm so glad nobody spoiled it for me. The last line was so funny that I couldn't get up and leave during the credits because I was just sitting there laughing hysterically. That is possibly the funniest ending line of a movie I've ever seen. That like final joke was so funny that like my mom doesn't go to movies. I called my mom to explain the last joke in Barbie to her so that she could laugh about it. Um, Related. Ben Shapiro was angry that there was a trans Barbie who was played by a Philly native Hari Neff, go birds, and that this trans Barbie was treated normally despite the fact that, um, and I quote, her voice is deeper than my own, according to Ben mm -hmm. Shapiro. <laughs> Buddy. I hate to Buddy. break it to you, Ben. Beaker guy. from the Muppets has a voice that is deeper than your own. And if you've never heard of the Muppets, it is a popular children's program because clearly you cannot tell the difference between programming made for children and programming made for adults. Will somebody please find Ben Shapiro's vocal range for me? Because I, I don't like my voice with vocal fry, but I do tend to speak at the bottom of my range when I'm broadcasting. Like if you talk to me in real life, like Gabi, you can tell the people, like if you talk to me in real life, I don't really sound like this. My voice is about a half octave higher naturally. And I push towards the bottom of my range for broadcast because my diction is clearer towards the bottom of my range. But I would love, would somebody please take a tuner and figure out exactly where his range is? Because I want to see how much I'd have to train to get my voice lower than his because I bet it's not much. I mean, your voice might be lower than his already. I speak in the key of A if that helps. Interesting. I didn't know that. So if I like throw some auto tune on your... Uh... <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I typically speak in, in A or B flat, depending huh. on the humidity. <laughs> I didn't know that, that people spoke in keys, but that's interesting. I don't think most people do. I think that's, a, I think that's just me. Ben also talked about Portland lesbians. And that, up, made me, yeah, that made me mad because like a not insignificant portion of my friends are Portland lesbians. And I think that the average Portland lesbian could probably hammer toss Ben Shapiro's shoe lift wearing ass the length of a soccer pitch go thorns. Uh, <laughs> just like, you know, I prefer, you know, I honestly like as a feminist, I prefer to hate on like bigger, stronger, mean misogynist men. Maybe that's why like I don't even like talking about Ben Shapiro. I like talking about him because he's a capo. You know what? That's totally fair. I think you have a valid reason. However, I prefer to verbally spar with men who are like could actually take me in a fight. And he couldn't. No. How big is he? <laughs> Five seven. He's probably yeah. No, he no, like the same height as you. I have tips and tricks from bartending. Ah uh, man, no, this dude just watched a completely different movie from me. To sum it, to sum up his complaints about it, um, TW for me doing the Ben Shapiro voice. Sorry, Sadie. Thank you. Um, no, thank you for the TW. I appreciate that. So do our listeners. 
Barbenheimer is obviously a psyop by the woke agenda to make young people mm-hmm. in this country hate nuclear weapons and the patriarchy, two of the greatest <laughs> inventions of mankind. And notice, I said mankind, not womankind, because both <laughs> these great inventions were invented by men. It, that's not a direct <laughs> quote, right? No, but like... Uh, I, I couldn't tell. It could be. I was thinking, I'll tell you, Sadie, when I f- started writing this out, I was thinking about uh, doing the entirety of my, uh, of, of my commentary on his video in Ben Shapiro voice and then titling it, Ben Shapiro destroys, Ben Shapiro destroys the barber. <laughs> I could not subject you to that. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's been a good three years. <laughs> That Have was a the nice end one. of this podcast. Truly. So let's um what did what do you think about all of the banned toys in fundamentalism? What do I think about them? I think that so uh sent me like this TikTok not too long ago that was some person saying intrusive thoughts are just your intuition. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but apparently mm, no. it was like a, it was like a a a a TikTok where somebody's like, "I was thinking about this today," and intrusive ch- thoughts are literally just your intuition, and it was all people just being like, "No, that's not for like my intrusive thoughts." Tell me, you don't I- have intrusive, yeah, you don't have intrusive thoughts. If you made that TikTok video, you do not know what it's like. I mean, like my intrusive thoughts tell me to put my hand down the garbage disposal, like the <laughs> people saying that. And I do get the feeling like fund a lot of fundamentalism, it seems to me, with regards to a lot of the satanic panic stuff, it seems to me, instead of being intrusive thoughts or just your intuition, it's intrusive thoughts and any like vibes that you get is clearly the Holy Spirit talking to you and whether or not. And so then if you get a vibe of something, then you need to go out and look for evidence that that thing is true. And then any evidence that you can find that that thing is true, whether it's real or tangential, or it's just something that some person kind of pulled out of their ass because they were trying to get popular, then you have to go by that now because that's the Lord convicting you of that. So it's basically just people just inventing superstitions and then applying those superstitions blanketly. And then if somebody you know comes up with a new one, then you have to follow that new one. It just seems like it. so much of it is just based in vibes rather than any actual evidence towards anything actually being satanic. Yes. And if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? I mean, that's a way better way of putting what I just said and much more succinct, but. <laughs> well, I, no, I appreciate, no, I appreciate your thoughts because you are trying to get into this headspace that I have spent all this time trying to get out of. And I think when we see it, that gives us two perspectives and that's better than one perspective. The thing is that parents can do this with the best intentions and that is the horror of it and that is the trap of it because a parent hears your kids power rangers or barbies or dungeons and dragons or pokemon or whatever is demonic it's satanic it is bringing demons into your home your kids bad behavior quote-unquote bad behavior is not their fault it's the fault of these demonic objects that you've allowed into your home it's your fault for allowing this into your home the parent takes on guilt that is that does it sh- they shouldn't 
And the parent wants to find a solution like throwing away or burning their child's Cabbage Patch Kids doll. Well, then that parent, in some cases, thinks that they are doing the right thing for their child and it blinds them to the trauma that they are causing their child. Because having your beloved, like as someone who has been there, done that, seen it happen, having your beloved childhood toys thrown away or burned is intensely traumatic for a kid. There are, there are people I know who are adults who still have nightmares about having their possessions burned. Because when you're a kid, your stuff is all you have. Like your possessions. You don't have a paycheck coming in two weeks and you can go buy another one of those things like if that's the christmas present that you got that you begged for you experience the joy of seeing it under the tree on christmas morning and then somebody's going to take it away and burn it because it has demons in it that is intensely traumatic for a child but the parent can so easily miss how traumatic it is for their kid especially if they're following fundamentalist parenting books like To Train Up a Child or like James Dobson's books or like Jack Hyle's parenting books, the parent has been so indoctrinated into dehumanizing their child that the parent sees the kid crying because their toy is getting burned and the parent has been brainwashed into thinking, my kid is crying because demons are leaving them or my kid is crying because they can't sin anymore or my kid is crying, but it doesn't really matter because my kid's not really a person. So even and of course there are parents who use this as an avenue of abuse there are parents who without fundamentalist brainwashing or with less fundamentalist brainwashing are able to dehumanize their children and abuse their children and revel in their children's pain but even for the good parents this is how the brainwashing works this is like the end result so I don't want to discount the fear and the paranoia for adults because this is paranoia that makes adults do terrible things. But also imagine living this as a child because none of this is hidden from kids. There are not secret parent meetings and then the parents come out and take away all the He-Man stuff and don't tell the kids why. They're preaching the reasons why in public services where the children are. So the children are hearing this along with the adults. So in a child's experience, it's like, hey, go interact with these other kids, but also be careful because because any toy that they try to hand you could open you up to millions of demons. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I remember hanging out with my cousins when I was a little kid and I could read and the cousin I was hanging out with couldn't read yet. And they were like, hey, can you read this Harry Potter book to me? And I fully freaked out because that's witchcraft. No, I can't read that book to you. And things like that damaged my relationships with my cousins for literal decades before I was able to accurately express to them where this was coming from and we started over as adults. But I also remember, like in the story I told at the top of the episode, my siblings and I constantly auditing our own toys at home for demons. So yes, parents audit toys for demons. If you're a kid and you're not behaving the way the IFB tells your parents that you should be able to behave, which is 99% of the time completely developmentally inappropriate and also not allowing for neurodivergent children to exist at all. There's a high chance that the parent will suspect that you had a demonic toy sneak in somewhere. So they will audit all of your toys and they will take some of your stuff away. But a lot of children who really bought into this were doing this themselves as well, going through all of their toys periodically and praying over them and begging God to show them anything that might secretly be evil. So while many children have trauma of either parents who didn't care or parents who cared and had good intentions and messed up, throwing treasured possessions into a fire 
so many of us have memories of doing that ourselves. And all of this has real repercussions later in life. It can cause hoarding behavior, actually, because uh, if you grow up with food insecurity can do it, financial insecurity or housing insecurity can do it, but so can having your possessions repeatedly destroyed by yourself or somebody else. I, I People can grow up in fundamentalism and later have trouble with hoarding because they've been conditioned to think that possessions aren't permanent and you've got to get what you can and keep what you can. It can also cause relationship problems in adults because you've been taught that what you have is not permanent and can go away at any time. So it can cause possessive behavior or it can cause avoiding commitment in adult relationships. These are, they are real psychological problems that can be caused by this. Do you think that the need of a lot of these parents to burn their children's toys and, and like go through the toys, audit the toys and, and burns the one that, that they think are satanic, do you think that that's also caused by parents being unable to deal with their own anxieties about their kids turning out okay and the only avenue which they're allowed to seek to assuage that anxiety is through religious fundamentalism? Yes, because we've talked about this in the um, How People Become Fundy episode. A lot of parents who become fundy, and this shows up in Jim Bob, Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar's story, uh, people had a less than ideal childhood experience and they are told by fundamentalism, we can give your children something better. People like Dobson and people like Gothard will guarantee if you follow my program perfectly, if you follow my teachings perfectly, your children or SM Davis, your children will grow up to love God. Your children will grow up not to rebel. Your children will grow up to be church members. Your children will grow up to be successful and productive. If you homeschool this way, if you do these this set of things if you keep these toys out of your children's hands your kids will turn out all right and for the parents who join fundamentalism in the first place to cope with their own childhood experience because they were promised that it would give their children something better this absolutely plays into that anxiety because then you get caught in this cycle of i have to do all of these things perfectly because if i leave one thing out of the recipe my cake not might not bake the way i want it to the analogy of, of recipes and cakes and you put all of these things in and you when you put take the cake out of the oven, you get a perfect cake. You get a kid who loves God and goes to church and goes to Bible college and goes into ministry and gets married and stays married and gives you grandchildren. It is built to prey on parents' anxiety because you're told if you leave one thing out of the recipe, if you leave the flour out of the recipe, when you make a cake, you're not going to get a good cake. If you leave even things that may seem small, if you leave out the baking powder, you're not going to get a good cake. So yeah, it's. I think it's on purpose to cause parents that kind of anxiety. Wow. And this is, I, this is such a neat discussion to have together with the discussion on the Barbie movie, because when we talk about feminism and toxic masculinity, one of the things that I try to say every single time is that toxic masculinity hurts everybody and misogyny hurts everybody. I think it's obvious, and I never want to skip over the fact that toxic masculinity and misogyny hurt women and AFAB people more, and they hurt queer people and people of color more. However, toxic masculinity and misogyny also hurt cis straight white men. They do. They are harmful. And when we have this discussion about toys and demons, 
of course this hurts children. Of course this damages children. And I've given some examples of lifelong psychological problems that this can cause to a child. But I don't want to go without mentioning that this hurts parents too. And this ruptures the relationship between parents who are trying their best and children. And it gives parents who are abusive more excuses to be to be abusive. This is another one of those things that hurts everybody. You know, we covered a lot of supposedly demonic toys in this episode, but I bet we could come back and do more sometime. I would love to. There are a lot. There are a lot that I did not get to that I could have. We we looked at the book, the the turmoil in the toy box, and we obviously couldn't talk about all of the toys that were in there. Um, and so I would like to maybe come back and talk about a few other ones. They had a whole section on Star Wars that we didn't even touch, like it it it, it just stuff like that that I would like to come back and talk about. It would be interesting to. I mean, I know we don't really do like homework episodes anymore, just because it, it we don't have time to produce extra content, and plus the oh, I have to watch a movie and outline an episode and do this and do that. Like That's just not feasibly possible for us right now, or for Sadie especially right now, because of the amount of time that she, uh, a very finite amount of time that we have available to devote to this show. But I would like to possibly do maybe a recurring series of episodes, possibly about going back and looking at just very specific things that the fundies say, this is satanic, and then looking at the reasons why. Or we could clump a couple of them into one episode. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to this topic because I think it's worth talking about. That's all we've got for today. Next week is the week when we are actually... Uh, I know I've previewed this on the Instagram. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. You guys want it. You guys have been begging for it. We are talking about Brittany Dawn Nelson. <laughs> we know that you've been waiting for this episode and uh, it's going to be a long one. There's so much to say about her. Yes. Uh, and we're going to talk about her lipstick. Yeah. We're going to be talking about um, eating disorder stuff so uh watch out for that that's not going to be a lot of fun but we do talk about it and for people who need to know like we've already recorded part of that episode and we'll do the rest of it soon we've put everything that we know is probably going to trigger people in half of the episode and like squished it all into one half to try to make it easier for people who need extra trigger warnings around that topic. So you can just skip the first half of, of next week's episode if you're going to be triggered by that topic. We know we know you want to support us, and we also know you want to hear a snark on Brittany Dawn, so we're trying to make that as accessible as we can for everybody. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we will see you guys next week. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can join our Patreon where we have an extended version of today's episode. Uh, you can join our Facebook group and our subreddit. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. So go to facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram and threads at Leaving Eden Podcast. Uh, Sadie, your socials. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads at G A V R I E L H A C O H E. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Bye, Barbie. Bye, Barbie.
regrets, no confusion, there'll be no pollution. I'm so thankful I've decided to change my ways. I'm so thankful I decided to change.